At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. God created us for community, and with community comes conflict. It seems ever-present in our day-to-day lives, from little things to big things. In today's society, cancel culture is prevalent, and when there's conflict in our lives, it can be easy to turn to the ways of canceling one another. Knowing how to resolve conflict lovingly is an essential component of our lives. When we resolve conflicts out of love, we honor Christ. Join us in our new series, Conflicted, Pursuing Peace in a Cancel Culture, where we'll turn to the Gospel of Matthew to see what Jesus has to say about handling conflict. us, work in our hearts, transform us and make us new. How we doing church? How we doing this morning? You guys seem rejuvenated because you got an extra hour of sleep. Yes? No? No, I have had some reverse people say I got too much sleep. Now I'm more tired than I should be. Good to see some new faces, some faces that are back. My name is Winston. I'm the pastor here of Woodside Chesterfield and we are so glad that you are here this morning and man we just have some cool things going on in the church we got babies being born we got weddings we got grandbabies there's just been a lot happening this week and that's what church is about celebrating together and so if you know someone that is going through a season of change marriage children grandchildren just give them a hug and say it's gonna be okay (laughs) it's gonna be okay it's gonna be good So we started this new series last week called Conflicted. And Conflicted is all about finding peace in a cancel culture. And we live in a culture right now that wants to cancel anyone and anything the first minute, the first moment they can because we live in a world that doesn't want to do the hard work of reconciliation and restoration and peace And us as Christ followers, we beat to a different drum, right? We be at peace with people as much as it depends on us. And so I was thinking about this this week, and I was thinking about a show that my family and I watched. This was maybe a couple weeks ago. And it's a show that I watched way back when I was in college. And I used to laugh so hard at this show because the show was called Wipeout. Has anyone ever seen Wipeout? Yes, let's throw a picture up there of Wipeout. And and the thing about Wipeout, yep, that's about accurate, is, you know, no one's watching the show to see people succeed, right? Like, I've never met someone who's like, oh, I'm I'm watching the the new episode of Wipeout. I want to see if someone breaks the record of finishing the obstacle course. No, we want to see people hurt. We want to see them twist and, and, and fall and be hit by, you know, paintballs and whatever. Like, we watch people go through these obstacle courses because we want to see them fail. And, and so I think about that, and specifically today, is when, when we think about wipeout, so often they're going on these little obstacle courses and they have these steps, they have these the, the big like round balls that they step on, and, and you think, man, they're going to get it, they're going to go across, and then just like that, they wipe out, 
right? And sometimes you're like, oh, this looks easy enough. Like, it's, what's so hard about stepping on this or stepping on that? And, and then you realize, no, it's like they made that super slick or they made it fall out or they had something fly up and hit them in the face. And so there really is no foundation. And, and so when we think about conflict and we think about a world of chaos, so often we take these steps that really are like slippery stones or slippery, slippery rocks and we have no footing we have no foundation and just like that when we look to make peace we actually fall through because we're not building it on what we should we're not building it on a christ-like approach to reconciliation and, and so when we think about what we're talking about with conflicted pursuing peace in a cancel culture Jesus was talking about this all the time because he knew in this world we would have tension, right? And I'm thinking about this room, and I'm thinking about, let's just say, even the last 24 hours. Has anyone had some tension in the last 24 hours? Has anyone had some conflict in the last 24 hours? Has anyone had conflict on the drive here? I mean, I know your kids are perfect, unlike the pastor's kids. And they're like, mother, father, I want to be dressed on time today. You know, <laughs> like, I know that. You probably woke up and they're ironing your shirt. You know, the thing is, if you're like the Dickerson home, you probably have some chaos. You probably have some tension and you have some conflict. But to go even further beyond that in our workspaces... To go even beyond that, maybe it's our parents, <laughs> our brothers and sisters. I, I can make a career just counseling people on connection with their in-laws and the tensions that come from that. And, and so I think about us in a world of division, a world of cancel culture. Jesus has a different way. He has a different way for our churches. And whether we believe it or not, in every moment of tension and conflict, we have a choice to either hinder or to help. We have a choice to either make it better or make it worse. And sometimes to try to make it better, it still leads to hindrance, but we can't control what other people do. We can only control what we do and what Christ demands of us and, and, and commands us to do. And so Christians should help build up and not hinder the faith of others. Because yes, conflict is real and we experience it in our lives. And again, we all have experienced it. Backstabbing, verbal assaults, passive aggressive remarks, and on and on the list goes of these challenging moments. And so let me ask you a question. How many of us have experienced serious harm in our stories because of the actions of others? They hurt us. Like there's no way around it. They hurt us. We feel it. And even today, first service went by and a lady came up to me and, and she said, man, I, I thought I was over that. But then I, 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 opened up, I opened up an album, like a photo album. 
Yes, there's actual albums that you print pictures and, and put in. Why people, why people do that, I don't know. But the, the thing is, yeah, they pulled out an album, and the person said I was immediately, there was a rush of emotion just by seeing a picture of this individual. And I thought that was over with. And, and if we're honest with ourselves, we have been deeply hurt by others. But if we're really honest with ourselves, we are really transparent with ourselves, we have probably hurt people just as much. No, what, me? <laughs> if we're completely raw, there's probably a situation where we hindered someone else's journey or desire even to follow Christ. So how do we build up the community of Christ? That's our question. In a world of conflict, let's not hinder, let's build up. How do we build up our family? We, we can't speak for the church down the road, the church across the state, the church down in Florida, even though they have nice weather. We can only speak for our community. For this room, how do we build up one another? In Jesus, he wants to show us how to do this. And he gives us two ways we can help not hinder one another. And it starts with this. We are to not lead others into sin. Don't lead others into sin. That's where it starts. And so we look at Matthew 18, verse 7. And, and what it says is this, Jesus is sharing, and he says, Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptations come. And so here we have a scripture, and it uses a word that we don't often use in our vocabulary. Like, I'm walking around, I don't see people say the word woe, right? Like, that is, that's not a phrase we use. Like someone comes in and they're like, how are you doing, Pastor? Woe to the local politicians, you know, because they want to put a Chick-fil-A that's going to increase traffic, you know? Who cares? It's Jesus' chicken, okay? The thing is this. We don't use the word woe often. It's just, it's just not, not something, and even when you say it, it doesn't have a lot of oomph. But, but let me tell you what woe really means. Let's put up the definition of woe. Woe is an indicator of intense anger and or grief to a statement of prophetic and divine judgment. It is meant to give a warning to those it addresses. So when it says woe, this is a big deal. When Jesus says woe, it's of anger, it's of grief, it's of judgment, it's not just something aloof. Jesus gives a warning. You know, with us, it's, it's, it's almost like I'm angry, I'm so angry at the evil in the world. I'm so angry about this specific topic that women and children are abused and, and, and there's sex trafficking and, and there's these movements across the world where it's only getting worse. It's something of great woe and, and righteous anger, but also of grief, woe, that you did not listen and heed the words that are said. I, I could have been your Lord, I could have been your God. And so it has this emotion, this, this power to it that I just, I just think because we don't use it, we don't fully understand. And so Jesus' first warning, his first woe 
is to the world. It says, woe to the world for temptations to sin. And he's talking about the world, the system of human rebellion under the enemy, which stands opposed to God and his kingdom. And so the reason Jesus gives a warning is because it brings temptation to sin. And people get this mixed up. They say, oh, I'm sinning. Um, well, did you act upon that temptation that you had? No, but I just, I'm thinking these thoughts. I'm struggling with this area. And we need to know that we can be tempted and it not be sin. That we have a choice in the moment of temptation. And in this world system, the temptation leads people astray, leads them away from God. And so we all will have temptation. Even Jesus had temptation. But in those moments of temptation, he chose not to act upon the temptation. He chose not to sin in that moment. And so what we need to know is when it talks about temptation, that word actually was used in verse 6 as well. So if you want to look back at verse 6 of Matthew 18. But it's also used here in verse 7. And the Koine Greek word for temptation is this word scandalone. What does that sound like? That's where the English word scandal comes from. Scandalone. You know, it's a scandal that's happening, that's, that's moving in the shadows, that's leading people to sin. There's a scandal, the temptation. So scandal alone means to trap or, or to be a stumbling block, but it also refers to an action or circumstance that leads one astray into sin and apostasy or a false belief. So the warning is that sin and the culture of sin in which he exists causes people to be led astray from faith and ultimately their salvation. But Jesus also includes a second woe. He recognizes that in God's sovereign plan, he has allowed temptation to be present in the world. So he's saying woe to the world and woe to the temptation, but he understands that temptation will be present. Yes, Jesus warns those that would be the tempted that, hey, we are in a world of temptation. And it's not going anywhere until Jesus returns. So not just woe to the world, but also understanding that this is part of God's sovereign plan in the world. Until he comes back and judgment is made in full. And so with us, what's important for us to understand, back to the point, is we are not to lead others into sin. We are challenged not to lead others into sin. And, and I would beg that we probably don't even think about the question, is there anything in my life right now that's probably a stumbling block to my brothers and sisters in Christ? Is there anything I'm doing, anything I'm posting, anything I'm saying, anything I'm investing in that, that is a question mark or maybe makes someone stumble? You know, if you're in the Dickerson home, there's some things, I mean, it's, it, it's somewhat, sometimes challenging to see all the things that your children see in you, right? It's scary what they see in their intuition, and you're just like, oh, how do they notice? And, and, I, and I did student ministry for years, and I would say, why is this kid acting this way? And then I would spend time with their parents. I'm like, oh, that's why. <laughs> that's why. <laughs> they are their parents, right? 
And so us, if we have kids, grandkids, whether we like it or not, the people that are most susceptible for us to lead astray aren't our coworkers, aren't our friends, they're our children. The ones that are going to glean and, and sponge and watch and reenact are going to be the children. Because they're the first people that we are stewards of by God to disciple. I love your kids. Your kids are well, most of your kids are awesome, right? I'm just messing. I'm messing. Just, I'm joking. <laughs> but I like my kids more. Right? Do you guys agree with that? You like my kids? They're cute, they're ornery, but I know you like your kids more for the most part. They're the ones that God has given us. And they're watching they're being discipled before our eyes. And so I do this thing in my house where uh, a man and I, we always are battling with screen time. And so we're, we're, we're battling with the kids. Hannah's the oldest, and so we tend to battle with her the most. And, and so I'll say, she'll do this thing on Sunday, and she actually did it before this service. Well, she'll run up to me pre-service. You know, na, 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 na. And then she'll come up, she'll hug me. And I'm like, oh, I love her. And then she'll take my cell phone. Okay, out of my back pocket. And then I'm like, you know, and I'm like, okay, I can't stop her because I'm like, I'm like praying with someone or, or talking to someone. I'm like, get that kid, you know, I don't want to be that guy. And so she does that. And, and so I remember uh, one day I was confronting her when she was on the phone and I was like, hey, you got to put down the phone. You need to stop being on your phone. And she's like, dad, but you're on your phone all the time. We have those moments happen to us. How do we expect for our kids, grandkids, nieces, nephews, how do you expect them to live a certain way if we are not living that way? How do we expect them to put down the phone when we don't put down the phone? How do we expect to take them to a place we're not at? Don't lead others into sin. I had something happen to me recently. I went and I had lunch or dinner with a guy, and um, never had this happen before, and he ordered a drink, an alcoholic beverage, just to be clear. And he ordered it, and then he said, oh, stop, stop, stop. H have you ever struggled with being an alcoholic? And I said, no, I haven't. And he's like, okay, give me the drink. <laughs> so I was like, okay. And this is not a debate on alcohol, but the thing is what he did is he stopped and he was aware that maybe that was a stumbling block for me. Never had that happen before. Because we live in a Western society that says, hey, that's your struggle, it's not my problem. And we don't think about our actions and the effect they might have on others. And just the words, the phrases, the moments that we impact people's lives and their faith because we don't know their story. And so in that moment, I was like, man, this guy showed me love to stop on that moment and say, hey, I don't know you well. Is this something that you struggle with? And maybe we got to put on the lens and say, what is it in our life that is a stumbling block to others? Is there anything in our life that's not honoring to Christ? Because part of the way 
we do this is by approaching life with that lens to say, hey, I impact people whether I think it or not. Am I hindering or am I helping? Am I influencing with health and caution or am I doing it with care? And that's something we need to be better at as a community. Is just being aware that other people have other struggles. I might struggle with things that you will never struggle with. And that doesn't mean that you disregard the person's struggle you don't understand. It just means we love someone and say, hey, how can I be part of the solution, not part of the problem? Because temptation is strong. And the Apostle, Apostle Paul brings up this idea to the church of Corinth he, concerning food sacrificed to idols, specifically meat sacrificed to idols. And, and he wanted the church to know how much this impacted them and those around us. So in 1 Corinthians 8, 7-13, this is what it says. But some through, through former association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol. And their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. See, it's a right we have, but it doesn't mean it's a right we have when it hurts and hinders others. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed the brother from whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. That's a big, big piece of scripture. It's not wrong to have this or to have that. But it is wrong when it's a stumbling block to a brother and sister in Christ. We are to do nothing out of selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard others as more important than ourselves, looking out for their interest over our own. And so what this is saying is we need to recognize, yes, we have personal freedoms, but we also have responsibility. And in those freedoms, we have responsibility to love others well. Let's be completely real. We live in a world tormented with temptation. You don't got to go far. Am I wrong? In those moments, we need to understand there's, there's not always a Bible verse on how much Netflix to watch in a week. <laughs> There's not always a Bible verse for, you know, how much to put away in retirement. There's never, there's not a Bible verse to say, you know, how much should you serve or not serve. It's just, th there's not always clarity. We, we live on the wisdom and discernment of God's word to govern our wisdom in this life with a clear conscience. And some of us, we just have that, I just, something's not right. I just feel like something's not right. And that's sometimes the Holy Spirit partnering with our conscience to speak and, and convict us of something. 
So I want to encourage you this week. I want you to ask this question. I want you to really think. It's not just going to be a flippant, all right, I'm going to think for 30 seconds and go, you might need to really be silent and be still and be remote to ask this question. And so I want to put the question up here. What impact are those things in your life, whatever it is, potentially having on the people I influence? On your kids, your friends, your family, strangers? What are those things? Whether it is social media, maybe it's time, it's activity, money, whatever it is. What impact are they having on the people that God has put in my world? And if you find that there are things that might be a hindrance to others, then hear Jesus' warning, hear his words of woe to make the necessary corrections of repentance, of confession. Which leads us into our second point that we want to walk away with to help us to, to not hinder, but to help those around us is lead by removing your own sin. Lead by removing your own sin. Look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 8 and 9. This is what it says. We're going to put it up here as well for you to see. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. Throw it away. For it is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Throw it away. For it is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. It's pretty strong scripture, right? You think about, hopefully we have a foot on this, but, but the thing is, really what this image is and, and what it's trying to tell us symbolically is not to cut off your, your, your leg or, or poke out your eye or cut off your hand. It's saying, and with the language here, that we are supposed to address sin with everything we have. And that the threat of sin was so serious and such a reality that we should even go to the nth length to get rid of it. It is better to be blind and enter the kingdom of God. It is better to have one hand or no hands or no feet. It's better to get it completely eliminated and be in heaven than to have it and experience an eternal punishment of hell. Jesus is trying to say here that with sin, as strong as it is, we might have temporary consequences, but we'll have eternal consequences if we don't get it out of our life. You know, the word for hell... Uh, uh, conscious torment and punishment. The word hell, that word came around um, 1600, 1700. It's really Gehenna. And Gehenna was an area in Jerusalem where they used to throw away their trash and, and feces and idols and, and dead bodies. And they would throw it out there and then they would light it on fire. It was essentially their, where they put all their waste. 
And so they had this image of Gehenna, and they said, hey, hell is, it, they tried to think of the worst place that they've ever witnessed on earth. They said, it's like that, death, feces, uh, just dirt and trash, you name it. It is like that. And scripture makes it clear we have to do whatever it takes to sever those sins from our life. Because yes, sin has consequence. It's drastic. It has eternal, severe consequences. Sin is not something to be welcomed, to be accepted, to be tolerated, to be trifled with. Because the consequences of sin are so severe that there's really only one option. Seek to remove it at any cost. And so with us, if we want to help and not hinder, it doesn't start with, hey, you get your sin out of your life. It starts with me. And one of the reasons why people are hurt or they've been, they've been bruised and broken by faith communities is because we were more focused on their sin than our own. And looking at what they have. And then comparing. I'm not as bad as them. I'm not as evil as them. What I do is not as bad. When really, when it comes to sin, it has consequence. It has harm in this life and even potentially the next. And so in this moment, some might say, well, is there hope for any of us? Talking about sin, the consequences. If, if Jesus demands perfection and the total eradication of sin in our lives, I'm already done for. Guess what? That's the gospel. That Jesus came to forgive sins. Sin is gross, it is icky, it's going to be around. But the power of God is that Jesus died on the cross for sins. For our penalty. What we should have or had. And so yes, certainly we aren't just supposed to live in the sin. Live in the, the temptations that grow into sins. We're not just supposed to say, okay, he forgave us, we're good to go. No, but what it's saying is we can't just by doing everything right, earn salvation. That's what came from the cross. Now we have the Holy Spirit to fight against the sin. Now we have God's very presence within us. We are His temples. So we can be transformed. We can be renewed. That we can break from the bondage of sin in, in this life. And yes, guess what? We probably will have struggle. And yes, guess what? The older I get, the more I realize that when I thought sins were gone, sometimes they come back. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting there, guys. I'm 35, right? <laughs> back when I was a boy in 2009, you know? Right? So the thing is, there, there are things that I'm like, man, some sins are cyclical. And they like to rear their ugly head. You're like, man, I thought I was done with that. And then something happens. Or a moment happens. 
And so we need to remember that some are eradicated, but some, they just tend to come when we're at our weakest, at our moments. But the beauty of it is Christ doesn't demand perfection. He, he doesn't because he knows on this side of heaven it will never be. But he does want us to do everything in, a, in our power, our power, through his spirit, to fight against it. Another thing to remember is the language here is to remove the cause of sin, the standalone, or the stumbling block. So Jesus knows the devastating effects of sin. He knows it will be present in the world, but he calls us to remove the stumbling blocks from our own lives so that we won't be stumbling blocks to other, to other people. Again, not perfection, but to pursue righteousness. To repent. To say, God, here I am. I repent of my sins. And the beauty of that is 1 John 1, 9. It says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful. There's power in confession. There's power in accountability. For some of us, we have so many new members that have come through this church over the last year, two years, three years. And there's power with coming under leadership and having pastors to shepherd you, to care for you, to not just teach you, but at times to challenge you. Because when, when we confess, we bring into light that which is wrong, and it is exposed, and it could be removed. That's a beautiful moment for us to practice confession with God and with others. To know, hey, I'm not perfect. Because when we're humble, that gives other people opportunities to be humble with us. Because if we keep things in the dark, they'll eventually come to light, but in ways that we cannot imagine. Or we, we hate. We gotta be there. If we want to be a church that loves well, that cares well, that, that sees each other, that challenges one another. We got to be able to speak this into each other's lives, but the first one we need to speak into is ourselves. Allowing God to permeate our hearts, to change us from the inside out. His spirit can do that. I can't. I'm just the branch, right? <laughs> He's the vine. He's the good shepherd. Because if not, it could lead us down a path that temptation leads to sin and then sin leads to death and I've seen it, I've witnessed it the slow moving methodical steps of the enemy in our lives recently I was talking to one of my friends and we were talking about uh, some people that graduated from Bible college with us and, and there was a guy let's just say his name was, was Josh and we just knew Josh was a solid guy, he was going to do amazing things for the kingdom of God and Josh was just a little older a couple years older than us just seemed like he had his life together. He knew what he wanted to do, and, and God was going to impact so many through him. So we were just talking about people we graduated with, and, and I knew he was a little closer with Josh. And, and so I said, hey, what's going on with Josh? Give me an update. Where, what's he been up to? And he kind of gave this huffy breath and looked down. He said, you haven't heard? I'm like, no. What, what happened? He said, well, Josh is in Nashville. And he's in um, a rehab center. What do you mean? So, well, Josh, 
he ended up getting injured and he had to take uh, some pain meds. And so he started taking these pain meds and it led him to a place where his pain was gone, but he kept taking the meds. He grew into a very strong addiction. But it didn't stop there. Then it grew to heavier drugs, gateway drugs like cocaine and heroin. So for the last four or five years, he's been in and out of rehab. Once a lead pastor to now barely surviving. I thought about this. How did this happen? And if this would happen to Josh, it could happen to anybody. Slow, methodical moves. Temptation. And none of us are exempt from temptation on this side of heaven. That's why we need Jesus. <laughs> There's no amount of self-help books or life groups or sermons. It's, it all starts with Jesus. And then it moves out. We need him in our lives. We need him to transform us. Otherwise, we're so susceptible to those temptations of this world. And I could share story after story like Josh, not just of narcotics, but greed and anger of sexual sin. Things that, oh, we're not supposed to talk about that in the church. But these things have consequence. And God says, whatever it takes to eradicate it from our life, we do it. But the beauty is we don't go alone. We go with Christ's very spirit within us. Yes, Jesus gives us a way to help build up and not hinder the faith of others. Do we want to be a sort of people that build up? Help part of the solution? We want to be part of the problem. I pray that we have a posture of repentance and vision for the needs of others. Let our life be filled with one that is looking to help others over ourselves. Because if we do that, it won't be the life of conflict. Be a life of peace. Father, I want to pray right now. As we know how susceptible we are to sin. We all are. No one is exempt. No one is without it. And that's why I pray right now for us to never forget that we have the good shepherd. That you are the one that is going to walk with us and embrace us even if we are at the point when we've been tolerant of sin. We've allowed it. And it's easier just to point at other sins and others' downfalls to look in the mirror at our own. And maybe there's someone in the room that this is all new because we've never placed our faith in you. We've never surrendered to you as our Lord. So wherever we are, we confess that we cannot deal with this sin problem on our own. So by faith, we embrace the truth that you died for our sin. You rose again, defeating sin and death and giving us new life. Thank you so much for the cross. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. 
We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.